We got a lot of ground to cover today, this evening, in our service. So, sorry, I feel so bad doing that. Stopping conversation, I'm sure it was great. Anyways, um, why don't you turn real quick with me to the book of Job, if you would. Chapter 31, Job 31. I'm going to read one verse, if you'd allow me. Thank you, Will. Job 31, 15, one verse. Job, sorry, Job, sorry, my God. Thank you. I hear it. Joel, 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 Joel. It's like a ripple effect almost. Sorry. Job 31, 15. Okay. For God created both me and my servants. He created us both in the womb of thy mother. Okay, just stop right there. Lift your heads up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. God, we ask, Lord, that you would touch your servant, God, with clarity and anointing, Lord, to preach your word. God, that your people may eat of the word. In Jesus' mighty name. Oh, yes, God, and please bless the pats today. May they walk all over the Broncos. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, we need it. I heard we're down. We down, Fabiano. Fabiano, we're down. We're down. Sorry, you know, Jesus, you know. I know for the most, oh, it's a lost cause. It's over. Sorry for all those people who stayed home from church today. <laughs> that, was a, that was a downer. No, but on a serious note, listen, we have some serious conversation to have today in the house of God. Um, not necessarily an easy conversation to have. Very controversial conversation, a very promatic conversation. It's not really easy to have. It's not really necessarily a, a church 101 building strategy. If you want to build your church, you don't necessarily preach a message like this. Fabiano laughs. I'm dead serious. That coffee cake looks so good. No, I'm just, oh, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. I'm fasting. They're soft. Oh, it's a croissant. Sorry. It's pretty good. Good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's awesome. Yes. Eat, eat. This looks so good. But we're going to have a conversation today that's not necessarily easy to have. Many of you may know because of last Sunday, Bethany talked about this Sunday being Sanctity of Life Sunday. Now, for those who may not know what Sanctity of Life Sunday is, well, it's what it is in its simplest form is churches all across America today, hopefully, maybe not so much in Cambridge, probably not at all in Cambridge, but here it is, uh, but they're engaging in a conversation today. They're engaging in dialogue behind the pulpit, preaching about, preaching against. Yeah, I said against. I said against. God's against things. He certainly is. And hopefully today in his word, we're going to learn that. But they're preaching, they're bringing awareness about this thing we call abortion. Not necessarily easy. I, at today, as I was preparing throughout the week, I'm thinking, God, how can I, how can I get this across? How can, I, how can I do this, Lord? Just give me grace, give me clarity. Not necessarily an easy conversation for even me because of all the politics involved, all the hurt and pain involved with this particular situation. But just because there's hurt and pain, just because there might be a bit of controversy, doesn't mean we need to shy away from it. Doesn't need, mean we need to kind of just 
hope it disappears because it's not disappearing. Matter of fact, if we were to share some of the statistics today of just how much abortion is alive and, and really practice amongst churchgoers, we would be alarmed today. I'm not going to do that because, well, I don't want to rain on the parade today. I mean, I think the Pats losing is enough for us all to be sad. But, but if we were to share some of the statistics today about just how much uh, abortion is alive and, 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 and women are practicing or having abortions, it would be quite alarming to us all. And, you know, I don't say that to trouble us. I just say that to, to say that if, if it is that alive, if the statistics are right then why isn't the church engaging in the conversation? You know, if it's, if it's in the four walls of the building, hey, I think the church should be the forerunners. I think they should be at the front line. Not necessarily speaking out in the public square. If that's what they do, that's fine. But, you know, we should be able to have honest dialogue about things that are plaguing the church. Amen? Amen. Some of you think, some of you agree, hard crowd. But anyways, uh, so my hope today is to prove in about 20 to 25 minutes because Crystal Benedict is going to come and she's going to share a little bit of her heart. She's the director and the leader of the Bound for Life chapter here in Boston and she has a lot to say about this issue. So we're going to provide some time. So I have to be brief. I have to be quick. Please bear with me. Flow with me if you can. And I'll try not to make it that confusing. But my two points that I want to convince us of today is that first, God loves justice. He loves justice. And second, I want to point out the predominant role that God plays in the formation and the knitting together of every woman's womb who is, has a child, that he plays a predominant role in putting all those parts and pieces together. Amen? And scripture, scripture tells of this. Psalms, David tells of this. Joel, the, chapter, the verse I opened up with. It, 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 it attests to the fact that God has a... a, a, a predominant role in forming every person, you, me, my son, every child that's not yet, that's yet to come, he will play a predominant role in bringing all those intricate parts, not just the nose, not just the eyes, not just the ears, but the innards too, the, the kidneys, the, yeah, and we won't go there, amen. So if you would turn your Bible to Isaiah, now this is going to go a little Old Testament on you, sorry. Old Testament's cool. Love the Old Testament. How many love the Old Testament? There's a couple of you. That's good. We'll pray for you. Isaiah 59. Now what I'd like to do is just kind of give some brief context of really what is surrounding this chapter, Isaiah 59. If I could, could you let me do that real quick? So I'm going to read to you a little bit of my notes, okay? So bear with me. Many scholars have concluded that chapters... 55 through 66 of Isaiah reflect the situation, the situation of the community of Israel following their return home from Babylon exile in 538 BC. A major shift in world power occurred in this year. Cyrus the Persian overthrew the Babylonians and established a Persian empire. Now we learned about this last week. We know who Cyrus is. Anybody? I mean, we learned a little about King Cyrus last week. Okay. He was a good dude. 
okay? Not necessarily Israelite, but he was a good dude. He was a little bit lenient than other kings were in the past. And what Cyrus did, he actually allowed, we learned this last week, he actually allowed some of, well, anybody who wanted to go and rebuild and reconstruct the city and the tabernacle, the, the, the house of God, he allowed all the exiles to go back to their homeland and start rebuilding, okay? Israel uh, prior to this, a lot of war, a lot of destruction. Their walls were broken down. They no longer had a place to worship. They were all scattered amongst the region. Okay, you're tracking with me. Okay, one of you are. Okay, one, of, one guy. Crystal's with me. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope in the next at least 15 minutes that I get all of you. So Cyrus is a good dude. He's a good king. He's a lenient king. And he is letting Israel go back. He's saying, come on, let's, let's rebuild this puppy. But you know what the problem was with Israel? They had become comfortable. See, King uh, Cyrus was pretty lenient, pretty cool, and it was good to be in Babylon at that time. And the thought of going back to a ravished land, a land that was in utter destruction, was a bit, eh, you know, not so much. That was kind of the, the heart and the attitude of the Israelites at this time. They were comfortable. They were liking. They were liking their new surroundings. They're like, hey, the walls are broken down around our city. There's no more temple to worship. This looks pretty good. We might as well stay here and just just." Set up home, set up shop. And so that was the attitude. So Israel lost, really, their purpose. They lost who, a sense of who they were as the people of God. Because at this time in Scripture, God had a strong desire to rebuild Israel, to rebuild Jerusalem, and for the most part, rebuild the tabernacle. Okay? Are you with me so far? So Isaiah 59, you have, to, you have to look at it as having four main sections. Somebody say it with me, four main sections. Okay. The first section, which is literally just verse one, is actually the people in Israel challenging God. One verse. Okay? Because I think most of us read Isaiah 59 and we look at it like, oh, this is the Lord speaking. That's good. No. No, it's the people speaking. And you know what? They're a little sarcastic. They're a little, they got, they got a little attitude because their city is in heaps. And we'll get to that. Uh, section two is actually the prophet Isaiah's response to Israel, to their complaint. And he actually responds to them. With, an, uh, with accusation. Imagine that. Now it's a prophetic word, so it's not necessarily even Isaiah responding to them. It's actually the word of the Lord coming through Isaiah, and Isaiah releasing it uh, to the children of Israel uh, in response to their challenge in, in uh, section one. Section three uh, is the people respond with confession of their guilt. So the third section is actually, they hear the word of the Lord, and now they are actually feeling the uh, conviction and they're feeling guilt and they actually do what's right. They respond with confession of their guilt. Section four, the Lord reacts, okay? And we're gonna get to the verses. I'm gonna read them. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm gonna read them. But God reacts. He reacts with what? He reacts like he always reacts. Merciful. Come on, yeah? But he also says a lot about justice because there is... Something within this scripture that the Lord is trying to point out to Israel. And the main theme is, and what he's trying to point out, is that you no longer care for what is just. And you're talking justice, 
Sanctity of Life Sunday. You're like, what's the connection? The connection is this, friend. We do not need to look at abortion as just an issue. What do I mean by that? We don't need to look at it as a political issue. We don't need to look at it as a church issue or a secular issue. The bottom line is if it's true that God has an intricate part, if he has a, plays a predominant role in the development of every human inside of the womb, then it is a justice issue. You see, in Scripture, mainly in the Old Testament, whenever there was the shedding of innocent blood, not just babies, but adults too, whenever there was the shedding of innocent blood, God would always look at it as an injustice. So it's important, I think, that we as a people, that we as a church, when we consider the epidemic, the injustice of abortion, to look at it as it is. And that's not an issue. That's, and what do I mean? It's not something that's going to be resolved politically. It's not something that's going to be resolved even by the church picketing and go, God hates those who have abortions or whatever. You know, it's just lame. It's not going to work. So, what I'm trying to say today, I'm just passionate, I'm not mad, really. I love you all, every one of you. So I get a little, you know, hyper, you know, if you see my son, you know what's up. He gets it from his dad, you know, and, and so I get a little excited. And, and here at Hilltop, we like to get excited. We don't just, like, try to stifle the excitement. We try to just wear it on our sleeves, and it's a good thing. And I, It's just a good policy. So four sections. Isaiah 59 has four sections. Let's read. How am I doing on time? I'm doing good, right? Okay, don't anybody say no. No, I'm just joking. Okay, section one. Here we go. Here's the opening arguments and challenge to the Lord from the people of, his, uh, of, the people of Israel to the Lord. Listen, the Lord's arm is not weak to save, verse one, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. Now, that sounds like a, like a pretty nice statement. If you read that, just glanced over it, you thought, well, yeah. The Lord's arm's not too short. It, you know, he can do whatever he wants. He's powerful. And if, if you really thought about this or just glanced without context, you would think, oh, yeah, yeah, the Lord's not deaf. But this is actually a challenge to God. And they're saying, God, have you seen our city? Have you seen this wasteland that you want us all to go back and rebuild? Obviously, you haven't. And you know what, God? Your hand is not so powerful. You must be deaf, God. Because ain't nobody want to go back there. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? So this is, this is Israel. This is what they're saying. Listen, it appears as though, God, your hand is too short. It appears as though, God, you are not hearing us. Our land is in ruins. Why would you want us to go back? Now, verses 2 through 8 is Isaiah, the prophet's response to their complaints. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers, and your fingers are filthy with sin, and your lips are full of lies, and your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest, the people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and then give birth to sin. They hatch deadly snakes and weave spider webs. However, whoever falls into their webs will die. 
and there's danger even in getting near them. Their webs can't be made into clothing, and nothing they do is productive. Ouch. All their activity is filled with sin, and violence is their trademark. Their feet run to do evil, and they rush to commit murder. Now, in the KJV, the actual, uh, when, 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 when Isaiah prophesies they run to commit murder, it actually says they run to shed innocent blood. I don't know why I'd say that, but, you know, I think, it's, I think there's a connection here. So essentially what God is saying, he is responding through the prophet Isaiah, and he's saying, listen, I am not powerless. I am not deaf. I hear you. It's your sins that have cut you off from me. That's what God's saying. And all of their sins happen to circle around one thing, justice. And what he's saying, he's saying, there's no truth. You lie. You, you murder. You run to do evil. You're not fair. You're not honest. You're not, no one looks for what is just and right. So this whole middle section of Isaiah 59 has to do with, listen, there's injustice and you don't care. So section three, here's the people's response. Now I ended early in seven, but I want to go right to the people's response in verse nine. Here's their response. So there is no justice among us. And we know nothing about right living. We look for light, but find only darkness. We look for bright skies, but walk in gloom. We grope like birds along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. Even at, brightest, even at the brightest noontime, we stumble as though it were dark. Among the living, we are dead. We growl like hungry bears. We mourn. We moan like mournful doves. Never heard a dove mourn, but I guess it's mournful. Uh, we look for justice, but it never comes. We look for rescue, but it is far from us. For our sins are piled up before God and testify against us. Yes, we know what sinners we are. We know we have rebelled and have denied the Lord, and so on and so forth. Now they say this in verse 14 and 15. It says, our courts. What happens in courts? Justice, right? Our courts oppose the righteous. Injustice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. Do you just feel like today in culture, when actually a man of God or a pastor or anybody, maybe it's Maybe it's a prophet like Isaiah. He begins to start speaking out against abortion. He begins to start speaking out against homosexuality. He begins to just say, no, this is wrong. And it seems like the whole world is against him. Even his own brothers and sisters. There just seems like there's this over, uh, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but just keep your mouth shut. Don't engage in the conversation. Stay away from it. And honestly, guys, this is what was happening in Isaiah 59. Nobody cared that there was injustice. Nobody wanted to hear it. Nobody wanted to be bothered with it. Now, let me just say this, and I'm assuming here. But if there is anyone who has had an abortion, listen, I am not a hateful man. The same blood 
that has forgiven me for many of sins forgives ultimately every sin. There is no condemnation. I, I just want to put that disclosure there because it can, it can only almost be like a hate speech when we start talking like this. Like, you're just against my rights or, or you don't know what I've been through. Listen, I have ministered to many women who've had abortions in the church. And I don't extend to them judgment nor condemnation, but grace. Because that's just how powerful the blood of Christ is. I just want to put that in there. So here's Israel's response. They're saying, yes, you're right, Isaiah. You're right. We are guilty of these things that the Lord's speaking through you. Now, here's my fourth and final as we try to move on to the next subject so Crystal can get some time. Now, the Lord responds through the prophet Isaiah, the middle of 15. Okay, if you can write there where it says, the Lord looked. Here we go. The Lord looked and was displeased. To find that there was no what? To find that there was no what? To find that there was no what? Thank you. Still a little weak, but I'm trying to warm you over. No, I'm just joking. So the Lord was displeased. He looked, and he's like, hey, there's no justice here. I wonder what the Lord's eyes see today in our modern culture. Does he see justice? In my opinion, whoa. I, I don't even know if there's justice in the church. What do I mean by justice? What does that even look like? Like if I, Well, I think it looks like somewhat what it looks like here today. Is that we're open, we're honest. We're talking about it, we're preaching messages around it. I'm so glad that all throughout America today, there's pastors who are not concerned about losing sheep, that are not concerned about uh, what's going to happen the next Sunday as they engage in this message, that they're actually standing and saying, no. You know, God is against things. This may be news to you. And you know what? God calls us to hate things that he hates. And he calls us to love things that he loves. Sign me up. If I got to look like a, a hater, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll bear that cross. I know I'm not. But the church has to be adamantly against this injustice of, abor of abortion. And we need to look at it as a justice situation, not a justice. Can you imagine if Martin Luther King, the civil rights movement, looked at the slavery epidemic? He just, it's just an issue. It will be settled politics. Now, I know God used politics. I know, but could you just imagine if he just marginalized it and boiled it down to just an issue? What? Lameness. And, and all the while, the church is just, they're just, put the recliner back, watch the football game. When thousands of Young babies are being slaughtered at the womb, all for the sake of convenience and money. What will be the swing of change? I'll tell you what will be the swing of change when the church rises up. When the churches rises up, we speak out against. And we speak a message of clarity about God's justice and his love for his creation. Could you, I couldn't imagine being a father and someone trying to hurt Abram. I couldn't imagine Abram being born and, and the doctors doing something foolish that would have jeopardized his life. Couldn't imagine. I go crazy up in there. You'll see some justice. Give you some justice here. 
The Lord looked, and he was displeased to find that there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened. The KJV says he was amazed that no one interceded. I know intercession doesn't do a lot these days, right? That's main. That's why we don't do it. But God is saying, man, I am displeased that there's no justice here. And I am, honestly, I am shocked that no one intervenes, that no one intercedes on behalf of these people who are crazy. So what does he do? Middle half, or last half of verse 16. So he himself... He himself, I want you to get that in your heart today. Because you know what this says? That even when people are unwilling to be the voice of justice in the land, that God himself will step in. And that's exactly what the word says. He, he, so he himself stepped in to save. If you look at the word save and you study it in the Hebrew and Greek, it actually means he himself stepped in to bring justice. Who? Sorry. He himself. Oh, there's no justice here? Okay, I'll take care of this. Let me step in and bring some justice. This is his response. And you know what? There wasn't enough justice in the land to sustain him. So what does the word say? And his own justice sustained him. His own love and zeal for justice sustained him to step in and to intervene. When there was no grace, when there was no strength for Israel to do it, he said, I'll do it. God loves justice. But he not only loves justice... If there is no justice, he will see to it that justice is being served. Primarily in his church. I know. Debbie Downer. Pats are going to lose. God's going to bring justice. Yeah, that's right. God is going to step in. If the church refuses. See, you've got to understand that even though the church is trying to turn a blind eye to the injustice of abortion, God is not. He's not, I'll be back soon. I'll, 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 I'll square it away. I'll be there. Oh, no. God, is, he is zealous. He is zealous about injustice. He is zealous. And that's what the scripture shows us, that he loves justice, but he also is willing when there is no justice to step in and bring justice himself. Okay, let's turn real quick. I'm kind of trucking through. Crystal, I'll... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to do it. Now, just some scriptures that might help us if you're, if you're like, well, Daryl, that's not enough. That's not enough to prove to me that God loves justice. You can, you can uh, read Amos 24. You can read Psalms 33, verse 5. Isaiah 61, 8. Psalms 11, 7. Psalms 89, 14. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Let me read those again, just in case you're writing them down, which I know you're not. But anyways, makes me feel good if you are. Amos 5.24, Psalms 33.5, Isaiah 61.8, Psalms 11.7, Psalms 89.14, and Isaiah 42.1-4. Just in case you need some further help, because those scriptures actually just say this, God loves justice. <laughs> That's what it says. So it's not, it's, you know, it's no mystery today, guys. It just kind of says, 
God loves justice. Amen. Thought that might be funny. Okay, let's uh, turn the word. Tough crowd today. Man, what'd you guys eat this morning? Okay, let's turn. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just you laughing. That's good. Okay, let's turn to Psalms 139, if you would, real quick, because we've got to wrap this up. We've got to bring this ship home. Is it okay to talk about this Sunday evening at church? I think it is. I think it's, I think it's necessary. We need to engage. We need to be on the front lines. Not with hate, with love. Psalms 139. <clears throat> and we're going to read verses 13 through 16. You made all my delicate inner parts. Don't quite know what delicate inner parts. We're not going to go there, okay? But that's the words that David uses. You made all, I, I just, I, I, I just kind of, I studied it out and actually means the kidneys, you know, and that kidneys are deep down in there. And I guess David's just like, hey, man, you just didn't create my nose. You just didn't give me these big ears, but you got my kidneys, Lord, even my innards, my most delicate parts. It just means that God was thoroughly involved with developing David in the womb of his mother. He was predominantly. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. So David here is pointing out the fact that God, again, just for the sake of... um, repeating myself, that God is involved with the developing, the bringing together of every joint, every bone, every part that needs your eyes, every vein that, you know, every, every sense, every joint, every whatever, fingernail. God is involved with the process. He's not just kicking back and saying, hey, you know, that's pretty cool what's going on in the womb. You know, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Wow. No, he is in there. He's like a, a mechanic working on a car. You know, he, and David attests to this. He's, he's saying, man, you have made me wonderfully. You, you, I am perplexed at your genius, God. Maybe David was looking in a mirror and saying, wow, God. Whoo. Did you see that? But David is utterly caught up with the design of God and his involvement. Now, I also read Job. And I'm going a little bit long, but I'm going to stop here. Uh, Job um, 35, I think it was 35, 32, 31. Job 31, 15. And Job attests to the same thing. He says, man, you have, you have, you have formed me in my mother's womb. And there's many of scriptures, man, you study it out. You just, you get your nice little Hebrew and Greek study Bible. And man, you just find scriptures and scriptures that allude or, or lead you to the truth that God is involved. He's, a, he's, he's mechanically putting everything together. Now, I have to draw this conclusion. And I'm sorry that I'm rushing through this so quick because I want to give time. and I don't want to take up much more of your time. But I have to when drawing these two conclusions together, that God loves justice and God is involved with the formation and the knitting together of every life, I have to just step back as a father and, and kind of get a, 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 a higher perspective, a, a greater look at the situation and put myself in that situation. I'm thinking, God, 
if, again, if something was to ever happen to Abram that was out of my control, if someone hurt him in his mother's womb, if someone even hurt him outside of his mother's womb, what would be my reaction? And then I start to thinking about God's reaction. Every day, thousands of babies being slaughtered for, in the name of convenience and money and perversion. And, and i got to think, God, if you love justice... If you love justice, and, and this thing of slaughtering innocent life is an injustice, what a merciful God you are. Could you imagine that? The God that looks over the balcony of heaven. This is what Scripture says. He looks over the balcony of heaven, and he observes all the ways of man. Everything that's done under the sun. Do you imagine some of the things that God the Father observes here on earth? What his response is? Could you imagine... What is it a day? Even in Boston, what is, I, I forget the statistics of, of children that are aborted at just a day's time. Just in Massachusetts, 3% a day, children aborted. Now, I know that there's all sorts of, when does life start? When, when, when is, when, 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 but if you're a Christian, you have to believe that it starts at the point of conception. You have to. How can you not? How, how can you not believe that? If God is so involved, man, I hope that his involvement happens right away. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to keep it G-rated. But I believe that God's involved all the way. But if God loves justice, and if he takes a keen interest on developing every child in the womb of every woman who is pregnant, Man, could you imagine what his feelings are towards those who are slaughtering his very creation? I couldn't imagine. What a merciful God we serve. So what's my point? What's my point? Okay, in conclusion, my point is this, simply. I would like us at, here at Hilltop to, A, be very open in our dialogue and our stance against, yes, I said the word against. It's a little hard coming off my tongue, maybe just for me, but against. I'd like us to be against, and I'd like us to not look at abortion as just an issue, not to marginalize it, not to take away its importance of being, you know, looked at in, 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 in conversation and dialogue and even disagreement. I'd like us to look at it as a justice thing, not, a, not, a, not an issue. And then third, is just marvel at the grace of God. Marvel at the grace of God. Why? Simply what I said before. I can't imagine God looking over and observing the ways of man and seeing his very creation being killed. I know, it's a hard word, but anyways, at this time, I'd like to welcome Crystal Benedict. If you guys would put your hands together, not for me, but for her, and she's going to take this over. Hi, guys. I'm actually going to give us some statistics. Um, just bear with me, too. I had very little time to prepare. I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to share testimony and just even some, like I said, statistics. So 
Um, first off, this week, January 23rd, is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which happened in 1973 when abortion was legalized in the United States. It stemmed out of the feminist movement for us to have freedom as women, um, to have the freedom of choice. So that's, and that's another reason why we celebrate the sanctity of life. We celebrate life on this Sunday because it's in lieu of the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And on that note, um, it's very interesting. If you look up Jane Roe, which was actually the person in Roe v. Wade that fought for the right to have an abortion, she is actually now a born-again, spirit-filled believer who is fighting for life, which really, even in that, like, I mean, the weight that that woman must have carried, that due to her fight, that thousands upon thousands of children's lives have been lost, but that just goes to show you the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, that there is freedom found no matter the weight of the sin, no matter the heaviness of it, no matter the depth of darkness that it carries, that Jesus Christ is able to save and rescue. And even what Daryl spoke on out of Isaiah is, is he, he is a God who saves. He's a God who saves. He's a good father that cares for his children. So I just wanted to say that. And also, too, if anybody in this room, I don't know, but if anybody has ever struggled with an abortion, been through an abortion, is even maybe a product of a failed abortion, and you have not yet walked through healing or you need someone to talk to, I encourage you, come to me, come to Daryl or Bethany, and we will help you, we will talk to you, we will pray with you and um, walk with you through that. So don't feel alone, please, even um, as we talk about this. But I'm going to read out of this book, um, when I started coming to being involved at the House of Prayer that Hilltop has actually kind of been birthed out of, which is the Justice House of Prayer, in 2008 was kind of when I got introduced to um, a ministry called Bound for Life, where it really is just, we call it a silent siege, but what we do is we have a prayer meeting in front of courthouses and um, Planned Parenthood or abortion clinics where we pray for the ending of abortion. We put red life tape over our mouths that it really, it basically says that in our silence we identify with the silence of the preborn. And we, and we basically give a voice and stand before the king of kings and the judge of all judges and cry out on behalf of those who have no voice. And um, in doing that, I was introduced to this book. I don't even know what it's called because it's covered. It's called Answering the Call. And um, it's John Enzer. It's a focus on the family. And what's really even more cool about it is um, he's out of Boston. Kind of cool. So you get a little perspective from, from even the Massachusetts um, liberalism that we just we have in our, in our city. But he talks about the statistics of abortion specifically in the church. I know Daryl said he wasn't going to go through it, but I'm all for it. <laughs> and I know he is too. But um, I don't... It, but um, just it, it's really eye-opening at the amount that it's actually within our church walls. It says one, let me see if I want to read this. Okay. One out of every six abortions are performed on women who identify themselves as born-again Christians. 
with some 1.5 million women submitting to abortion each year. This equals 250,000 evangelically orientated Christians aborting annually. In another study, 31% of post-aborted women identified themselves as Catholic. Indeed, the abortion industry could not survive financially without the paying customers drawn from the church. Since 1973, Christians have committed homicide 5.6 million times. Every 20 seconds, another baby is killed. And every minute and a half, a born-again Christian adds to the fatality count. That's pretty um, weighty um, because what it goes to show is, is like Daryl mentioned, he said the Lord starts in the church. But it goes to show that the blood is on our own hands just as it was on Israel's hands in, in Isaiah 59. Um, I'm just going to, that's what I want to share for statistics, just to kind of bring the reality home. I think it gives you a real real solid understanding of the weight and the seriousness of it. Um, but I do want to share, actually, which first off can seem kind of like, when you first hear it, sometimes you're like, well, what does that have to do with abortion? But it actually has a tremendous amount to do. And I'm really just wanting to ultimately bring you guys to even a place of how do we pray for abortion, right? God hears us. He moves upon our prayers. Um, things shift and change. There's principalities and powers. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't. It's not necessarily about the picketing and the putting up of the sign of this is what your aborted baby looks like. But it's, it's, it's entreating something higher than flesh and blood, right? It's going into the principalities and powers. And if you have a hard time with that doctrine, read Ephesians 6. It's right there, black and white, that we fight against powers and principalities of the air and not against flesh and blood. But um, in Malachi 4.6, it basically is talking about the great day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus. But I'm just going to address this one verse um, actually, starting in 5, it says, Behold, I will send you the Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I'm not going to go into that doctrine. Um, you could read Joel 2 to help you with that. Um, I'm just going to address... The spirit of Elisha that he's talking about, which is the hearts of the father would be turned to the children and the children to the fathers. And um, one issue that I think is even the, what stems, I mean, like I said, it, abortion stemmed out of the feminist movement. But really what it came down to was there is good things that came out of the feminist movement. Thank God. I As a woman, I'm so happy I get to vote and I have a voice in society and I'm able to have a career. But on the flip side, there was a very rebellious going against what God created and designed women to be as carriers of life and the privilege that, it, that we have to um, do that. And um, sorry, I just had like a brain lapse and I forgot what I was saying. Um, but in that, where it stemmed out of that was really a place of selfishness a place of, I'm not willing to give up my job. 
I'm not willing to give up my rights. I'm not willing to give up that which was given to me for the sake of another. And it reminds you of the verse where it says, no greater love does he than he who lays down his life for another. And um, that's where abortion came. It's, it's really out of the place of convenience and um, selfishness, really, is what it is, the root of it. And to bring it back to Malachi 4.6 is it comes down to the place of it's no longer about us, but it's about the generation that's coming. We have a legacy to leave behind to our children. And it comes down to when we pray over abortion, yes, I pray, God, end abortion, send revival to America. I pray those words. But another part of my prayer is, God, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Turn the hearts of the mothers to the children. And turn even the children, the youth, my gender. I'm not really a youth anymore. It's so sad. I have one more year left in my 20s. <laughs> but it's the place of this, our generation turning to even our fathers and our mothers and how there's even a a lack of that there's been I mean I and that's where I'm going to go into my testimony um cool I have like a couple minutes um when I first was involved I grew up in the church I grew up in a conservative political politically conservative if you want to call it um household Um, So I was brought up in the understanding of you vote for life, you vote for certain things as a conservative. I was brought up with that understanding. But I was never necessarily taught why, right? I just never. So all through high school, all through my two college years, um, through that time of my life, I definitely always have come, come declared myself as a pro-life individual. I always stood for life. But if I talked to a friend who had had an abortion in high school or later on after graduating, if I, it was kind of like a, oh, okay. I disagreed with it, but I had nothing really at the end of the day to say about it, no reasoning why I was pro-life. Um, so in 2008... I attended the call DC and I wrestled because I was always a person that never wanted to babysit, never wanted kids, never want, like didn't desire that at all growing up. It wasn't something that as a little girl I was like excited about. Um, so I was, all, I was even like anti-kids <laughs> like before coming to the Lord. I was like, not so much, not into that. Um, but And then going to the call in 2008, I was really like, okay, I'm for, you know, we we stood into the silent siege. Lou Engel is part of the whole thing, and he's he's got a strong message that he carries about life. And I was just like, cool, I'm for it, amen. But then the conviction of the Lord really came to me. He's like, if you're going to be pro-life, you've got to be pro-child. Like, you actually have to be for children, and I was like, ah, shoot, <laughs> they're annoying, and babies, ah. like, I just wasn't into it. Um, so the Lord actually, and in hindsight, I now see this, but when I was attending my first silent siege here in Boston, when I was first starting to get involved with the house of prayer, I um, was in the midst of ending a relationship that I was in at the time, and, um, but I went to bed one night just 
blasting angry, like just angry. And I ended up, and I just went to bed. I'm like, God, why am I so angry? I don't even know how to control this. Like, it's just something that comes up, and I can't stop it, even logically. The Lord gave me a very specific dream that night, and it's not always that I have dreams that I can immediately (laughs) interpret and get, but for some reason, by the grace of God, it just immediately clicked. And I had a dream about arguing with my mother and um, just cussing at her and, and, and screaming and yelling and woke up that next morning, which was the morning of the silent siege. And um, I immediately knew that anger has, comes out of the place of even what I experienced as a child and just anger and, and even my own rebellion and everything like that. And so I'm like, gosh, like I got this issue in my life. I can't go pray for the unborn when I have this issue in my life towards my mother. And um, so I got on the phone. Literally, I was walk. I lived in Somerville at the time, and I'm walking to the T. And I called my mom, and I just said, "I'm like, mom, I just wanted to tell you I'm sorry. I'm sorry for just my rebellion, my hurtful words, the hate." The resistance that I gave you through my teenage years, my childhood, I just, I was stubborn, very stubborn, (laughs) and always had something to say, not always a good thing, and um, there was just huge breakthrough, there was massive breakthrough in my relationship with my mother to this day, me and my mom's relationship is blossomed, it's amazing, she's my best friend. I talk to her on the regular and pray with her, and she talks to me, and I pray with her. It's a really cool relationship. But why I'm saying this, and a lot of people go, how does that have anything to do with abortion? Well, it goes back to Malachi 4.6, of it turning the hearts of the children to the fathers and the mothers and the children, and the fathers and mothers to the children. Is It's that spirit that the Lord was giving me in that moment, and now I look back and go, oh, how strategic of you, Lord, to have that happen right before my very first silent siege where I was directly taking a stand. And that's where I want to encourage you guys, even in your own lives, is a way that we can resist the very spirit that's fueling abortion is the spirit that is against children. You look in, in Exodus with Moses, there was a deliverer coming. You look in Matthew when Jesus was being born, there is every time there is a deliverer being raised up or being formed in the womb, there is always a demonic power in one form or another that wants to fight against seeing that come to fullness. And that's what I'm saying is a way that we, we may not have experienced. I've never experienced an abortion. I've never been in that situation myself. But a way that I can, our intercession is not just in the sound of our words, though that's powerful, needed, and necessary. But it is in the very posture of our lives. It's the posture that we're taking of, I am going to resist the very spirit that is saying and warring against the children and warring against the fathers and this independent, I have it all together, this is my life spirit. And that's what I want to encourage you guys is a way that you can fight and even stand in the place of prayer is, is, is fight for relationship with your parents, fight for healing, and fight for the next generation. Give yourself, give time to children. 
Give time to them, whatever that looks like for you. And just encourage you in that. I'm going to move on. That's just my little testimony and um, encouragement there. But I'm going to go into ways that you can also get involved is through Bound for Life. We, as, um, we have a chapter here in Boston. We meet in front of the John Adams Courthouse every first Saturday of the month from 10 to noon. If you guys want to come, I'm going to actually have Will play a video to give you more um, insight on that when I close. But also, too, while he gets set up, it really might just be a little live button you have to hit. Um, there is also something that we recently started, maybe about two or three months ago, is um, what we're calling the Bound for Life Northeast Prayer Chain. It's a regional network that we've started um, all over New England and New York. It's in the process and the building of it right now. But what it is is you can actually receive SMS texting messaging alerts of when they're like kind of a 911 call of if a woman is um, struggling with an abortion. I've linked up, we are continuing to link up with crisis pregnancy centers of when women come into the thing and are contemplating abortion, or if an individual may know someone who's contemplating abortion, that you can send that um, information into a phone number. And that will then be reviewed and then blasted out to the network that we're starting so that people will be in prayer over that specific individual. And that's going to be really cool when we start to see testimony coming forth out of that, of women who choose life instead of death. Um, that's, you can go on jhopboston.com under the Bound for Life thing, or you can see me after service. I'll be out back with my iPad, and you can just sign up right now and make it super, super easy. Um, and then, well, if you could play that video, that would be great. Abortion is a common experience. At current rates, about one in three American women will have had an abortion by the time she's age 45. Abortions in Massachusetts represent 2.1% of all abortions in the United States. That's about 25,000 women who have attained abortions in Massachusetts. This is a tragedy, an epidemic of death. The results of abortion are devastating. It not only hurts and wounds women both emotionally and mentally, but it is the loss of precious innocent life. As the church, let us not make lies our refuge and falsehoods our hiding place, but let us turn and repent for the covenant with death that we have made, that justice and righteousness would overflow in our city streets. We as the church have a responsibility and a part to play. As it says in Proverbs 31, we must speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. We, as God's people, are called to be a voice for the voiceless and a defense for the defenseless. There is no one poorer or more needy than babies in the womb who have no voice to defend themselves. Throughout scripture, God often releases divine strategies in order to impact culture effectively. Through a dream, God has done just that where the image of thousands of mouths covered with red tape inscribed with the word life were seen. 
Today, this is known as a silent siege, where people across the nation stand in front of the courthouses and in their silence they identify with the silence of the preborn, entreating the king over all kings and the judge of all judges that God will bring about justice speedily. Jesus, the great intercessor, is looking for people to stand with him in the gap for this holocaust of abortion. We must be in agreement with him and his word, instead of a relativistic thinking that devalues human life. Our stand must be a committed, ongoing stand with the intention to remain until justice is released. You know, one thing that I want to stress, you know, Malachi 4, 6, the scripture verse that she referenced, isn't it kind of interesting that the Lord didn't say, I'm going to send a massive flood tide of revival. I'm going to send a, you know, great awakening to sweep through. But he said, I'm going to come in the form, the spirit of Elijah. And what is he going to do? He's going to restore family. Ultimately is what he's saying. Remarkable, remarkable when you think about it. Let us pray and let's close down. Hopefully, uh, Hopefully for us, we're clear on this issue and that we um, are this injustice. Keep on calling it an issue. See, it's so easy. Father, we just, we pray, God, today, Lord, that if there's any further understanding, God, and clarity that needs to come, God, that you administer to our hearts. Lord, we try to pack a lot into a short time. But, Father, we believe that your Holy Spirit can show and bring truth to our hearts, even more so than what a man or a woman could communicate. So God, we ask, Lord, that you would do just that. Lord, we ask, God, that you would keep us, Lord, that your spirit would be upon us this week. As we leave this place, God, let us leave filled with joy and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we'll convene you there. We've kept you longer enough. Did the Pats win? Pat's lost, guys. Sorry. But you came to church. Listen, we love you guys. Listen, those who aren't fasting, there's bagels and croissants and stuff in the back. Get coffee. Feel free to hang out for a little while and see Crystal. Get involved. Get plugged in. Don't just do nothing. Amen? All right.